Welcome to the first ever episode of Opt Outcast, the official podcast of Opt Out, a forthcoming nonprofit news aggregation app for exclusively independent media. I'm Alex Koch, co-founder of Opt Out and executive director of the Opt Out Media Foundation. At Opt Out, you'll get a complete news experience that's 100% free from the corporate media narratives that dominate our discourse. With over 80 independent media partners and counting, we bring you an honest, refreshing media ecosystem you can't find anywhere else. Opt Outcast will feature our excellent independent media partners. In every episode, we'll interview the dedicated journalists whose outlets we admire so much that we invited them to partner with our app. Who are these outlets? What do they do? And how do they do it? That's what we're here to find out at Opt Outcast. Discover more about the Opt Out app at optoutnews.org and at our Substack newsletter. That's optout.substack.com. If you'd like to support our nonprofit project, which has been entirely volunteer up to this point, please become a paying subscriber on Substack and stay tuned for how to make a tax deductible donation to the Opt Out Media Foundation. Enough with the intro. Let's get into our first episode, where we interview Maria Bustios, an independent media pioneer, the founder of Popula, and the founder of the brand new media cooperative, The Brick House. very happy to have our inaugural Opt Outcast, the podcast of Opt Out, which is a forthcoming uh, independent media aggregation app that uh, Walker and I are, are building with the Progressive Coders Network. Um, one of our um, founding media partners uh, is Popula, which is a news and culture website founded by our guest, uh, Maria Bustios, who is here today to Hi. join us. Um, Hello, Maria. Thank you for for joining us for, all the way from Scotland over the inter, interwebs. And um, you're gonna t- you're gonna tell us all about your new project, which is called Brick House. It's a uh, media cooperative of I believe nine different uh, news uh, websites, uh, news operations that are kind of under one roof. So really excited to have you on and ask you all about your new project. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to to be the inaugural guest. And I love Opt Out, and I'm uh, really proud to to be a part of it. So, okay, so what were we talking about? We're gonna introduce Brick House, which I'm. So first of all, yeah, go the on. name. How did how did the name Brick House? Well, um, uh, Tom Skoka and I were talking about like you know what are we gonna call this thing? You know because the genesis of the entire project, like it sort of started at Civil, uh, which was a sort of a blockchain. Uh, based publishing platform that he and I and a couple of others, Harry Siegel and uh, Dave Moore, whom you know well um, from Sledge, uh, had all worked at Civil together. And so we had these um, the ambition when we were at Civil to build a cooperative project that was kind of like a tokenized project. It was a blockchain-based deal. I think failed in the crypto winter of 2018, it's been real irony to see like Bitcoin prices this very day reaching, you know, like well over $23,000, like the the record of ever, you know, but like back in, 
in 2018, there was like this huge crash. And so that project failed, but like we had these publications and, you know, they're great and we're building audiences and, you know, the purpose of what we had, what we had started out to do was to create a means by which journalists could work together to strengthen each other's work and to create an, uh, and business structures that were like incentivizing quality journalism and that we could all work together to strengthen. And so Skoka and I were like talking and I was like, you know, I just want to make a thing that can't be just blown down. Right. Because, you know, he had had been an editor at Gawker and I had been in the courtroom when Gawker uh, crashed, you know, was killed by Peter Thiel. And, you know, I reported on Sheldon Adelson's purchase of the Las Vegas Review Journal and Secret, like all these different things that have happened that we've seen outside forces, like, you know, sort of take aim against independent journalism. Like, you know, our idea, like the whole time was, what can we make a place for ourselves that is safe against this. And so I'm like, well, it, it should be like, it can't get blown down. And then we immediately thought it was three little pigs, you know, and that's why the name and the logo is, I mean, everybody likes the Commodore's song too, but that isn't the reason. That was yeah. not the first reason. <laughs> <laughs> that was the second. No, I, I like, reason. I like that. Yeah. The, uh, it can't be blown down. I like that. Yeah, I was telling I was telling Alex that that when I was a kid, I, I had this this video of the of the Muppets um, reenacting fairy tales, uh, classic fairy tales, and one cool. of them was um, was the Three Little Pigs, and like the wolf approaches the house, which is naturally Miss Piggy's house, and he's like, ah, a brick house, and she's like, well, you're no junior petite yourself, Mister. It was great. <laughs> it's the one thing I. <laughs> Is is the one thing I remember from from uh, from that, oh you know, that collection, but it was it stuck with me all these years. Oh my god, that's incredible! I mean, Junior Petite is a very old fashioned phrase. Um, it was a, a range <laughs> of sizes for like uh, teenage girls that in a dress <laughs> shop. You know, it was like there were ladies sizes, and there was Junior Petite. That's amazing. Anyways, yes, um, that's why the name. And and the uh, logo was designed by Trevor Alexopoulos, who worked at Popula a lot. And so, you know, this thing kind of came out. Of, he's a wonderful, like, cartoonist and artist and graphic designer. And, I mean, I, it was one of those things where I said, well, just, you know, draw some stuff that would be a good logo. And he came back. And the very first thing that he drew was what we have. We all just fell in love with it immediately. And... So yeah, it's been it's been really great, you know, because it's very mellow. Like we all have been working together for a long time. Um, the other five sort of publishers are, you know, people who are known to us, uh, you know, for some time. People we work together, written about, written together, and I mean, everybody's sort of vision of this thing is we're going to take our time and make a thing that is worth being part of and that can last and you know, not having the imperative of having to make money for anybody outside of this thing is, is just really motivating and uh, it takes a lot of the pressure off. So, um, you know, the, this is a, a pretty unique model. Um, it, it, it 
um, it take, puts nine different publications under one roof with with one subscription. Um, I, I think it's a it's a it's a big step towards um, consolidating independent media in ways that are, are rarely done and. Um, that's something that Optat we're also working to do in a kind of different way as more of an aggregator uh, mm-hmm. than a creator of content yeah, yeah, yeah. initially. Um, but it's, it's uh, I mean, and, and you're, I should say, Maria is a an advisor to Optat as well. So, um, you know, we, we, we sought your advice from the get-go on this. But, um, you know, the Brick House is founded, owned, and operated by journalists. So can you kind of talk about how that works, how it, how it works for, you know, the journalists to, you know, to, to own and operate a, a cooperative? Yeah, we worked on this for many months. It's the part of it that I'm proudest of, for sure. Um, we were very fortunate in in uh, securing the services of an old friend of mine who's a corporate lawyer in Ohio named George Carr, who turned out to be this complete genius, you know, about how to do this. Because, you know, many of the attacks that we've seen on the independent press have taken place, like, through the avenues relating to equity, ownership, like, the business, the way we think about it, like an ordinary business in the modern world is basically their equity. Like the person who owns the, the underlying uh, sort of vessel, the company, the LLC, whatever, like that person has the right to determine a lot of things about what takes place in that company. Or like in the case of Gawker, like you had a lot of the wealth was concentrated. Like you, you could attack the wealth of the owner in that case. And you know, kind of get to like you shut these journalists up by that means. And so when we started thinking about like how do we how do we try to secure this entity against those kinds of attacks, um, our idea was to reduce or remove completely the concept of equity from the project. Because like the project is there, the company is there to make enough money to run the company and it's for people to get salaries and, you know, we share the revenues and the, each publication will get, you know, a certain amount, like based on, you know, there's, there's all these formulas for different parts of it. Like part of it is how many bylines your publication produces because some people obviously have a newsroom with like four or five journalists. Some are just one so we want to make wanted to make sure that part of the money was split up equally between online and part of it was um, sort of tied to publishing activity, not page views or anything like that, but just like how many bylines are being produced. So we had all these different ideas. And then what we decided to do was we made the LLC and the LLC is run according to an operating agreement that everybody has to sign to get in. And when you join the Brick House, you have to buy a share. And the share costs $1. And you cannot sell it or do anything with it at all except for sell it back to the company for $1. So rather than creating a company that, you know, in which the equity is your the, the sort of part of it that's being built and that's growing and that everybody's working toward is equity shares that can be bought, appreciated and sold, you know, with a, with a view to an exit strategy of some kind. This project is sort of like the people who are working in it are the ones who are going to benefit from it. And when they leave, they can no longer benefit from it. They leave it there for the other people that are going to work in it. 
So that's kind of the basic structure of how it works. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. And also just the idea that if you're not actively a participant, you can't own any, any part of it. Um, which to me, I think it is, is just, is, is such a smart strategy. Um, no one's going to come in and blow the house down. They don't have the power to. Yeah. And nobody who's in it can like, you know, decide, Oh, well, I can now sell this thing for a couple million. So, you know, like there was one story that I thought about a lot while we were designing this thing. And I mean, you know, it was Trevor is, um, a business librarian. In addition to being a really genius comics artist, he is, uh, has worked in institutional libraries, business libraries and universities for a lot of years. And so he knows a lot about business. And so I had these like super brainiacs, you know, advising me, like in addition to my regular advisors and accountants and everything, I had such incredibly great advice for this. And it was kind of like, you know, we thought about Craigslist quite a bit. It was one of the things that we discussed a few times because, you know, Craig Newmark had partners who, uh, eventually like it became very tempting and and one of them I sold uh their interest to eBay and this was like the you know the, the huge enemy you know like eBay wanted to buy Craigslist and smash it they did that to a number of companies many companies probably hundreds like you know in the early days and so he had to move heaven and earth right but that was a thing like you had one owner and I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm getting it. all the details are correct. I'm not exactly sure, but I'm pretty sure. Anyway, the um, the idea being, and this has happened many times, you get founders or you know people in on the ground floor, and if a, a entity grows to the point where it becomes extremely attractive to sell your portion of it, you know you can't really stop people, and, and it creates all kinds of problems for the underlying entity. And so that was kind of like on my mind a lot. It's sort of like, no, we have to make it so that the equity stays in the company always. And that's what we did. That's fantastic. I know. Uh, I love it. I love this thing. I freaking love this thing. I tell you. (laughs) Yeah. See, see, look, it's important to find, find uh, moments in this, in the just sheer, nightmare that we're all living uh that you that you enjoy and find and find uh yeah because stuff could like okay things could get better it's like it's very hard to believe that there could be a good surprise this year you know like there's been so many bad ones but like there can be really good ones it's possible to pull out of the hat you know still and and it's like as long as you believe that and you're willing to try that would be the only way that it could happen. So I wake up every morning thinking like, yes, yeah, it's, it's going to happen and all this is worth doing. And, you know, we've been able to do a lot, right? We're representing like a, a really hopeful vision for media. And I'm so proud to be part of it. And yeah, I love, you know, where it's going. There's usual, it's the usual fires being put out every single day. Something's breaking and stuff is late and, you know, now it's the holidays and like, we've got like, you know, 20 people involved in this thing and a bunch of them have little kids that are being homeschooled. I mean, it's like really complicated getting everything done, like sort of on time and 
and really well. But like when you consider that we started the Kickstarter that funded the development of this thing on August 25th, I mean, it's not that long. That it it didn't take us that long to raise over a hundred thousand dollars, put together this really like the beginnings of a really quite beautiful and efficient website, you know, and start publicizing it and getting some incredible stuff written. You know, I'm super proud of it. Yeah. One thing I love when I checked out your website was that it says like, this isn't a polished, you know, like product. We're just trying to do good journalism. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) No, I, I really, I, I can, I can relate. I love, I love that. Um, so tell me, do you think that this, do you see this model um, that you are sort of pioneering? Do you see this spreading and yes. becoming um, yeah. like an industry standard? Yes. Yes. There should be hundreds of these things. I mean, you know, if this one does really well, you know, we'll invite people the first minute we can, you know, when it's stable and, we have a, a stable subscriber base and we know what we're doing and we've sort of kicked the tires on it. You know, I hope to have dozens or even hundreds, you know, of journalists, even at just the brick house. But like, I mean, anybody who wants to, please get in touch with me, you know, Maria at the brick dot house. And I will send you our documents and, and give advice to anybody who wants to start something like this. Um, yeah, the door is open. This is that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to instantiate and demonstrate, you know, a different way to do this. And uh hell yeah. I think it's it's got it's going to have legs, I think. You know, people are really interested in it and we were written up in the New York Times like right out the right out the box and it's I'm like really encouraged by the response that it's had so far. That's great. Congratulations. Alex, I expect yeah. we'll be we'll be getting our invites soon enough. Yes, indeed. Uh, well, um, yeah. Well, actually, we I mean we kind of did get one already. <laughs> um, we're too busy, but <laughs> but um, no, I mean um, the you know everyone's now talking about how there's so many sub stacks and it's just kind of like you have tons of different subscriptions, free or paid, both. You're getting a lot of emails from all these different disparate outlets. Um, so uh, we, I mean, you know, we as you well know. Um, you're one of the first people we talked to for advice about opt-out. I mean, we were talking about aggregating independent media since last spring when Walker and I were just having a lot of phone conversations during the lockdown in New York, mm-hmm. beginning of the virus. Um, and so then many months later, Substack, I believe just yesterday came out with what's called Substack Reader, I believe. So it's basically like, it's like a, it aggregates the Substacks that you're subscribed to with the same email address, kind of on one page, mm-hmm. and then you can just click. It's it's like your site, like you click and you go to the other site. Advertise them, Alex. Well, well, what I'm saying is, you know, like so, so Substack. I mean, I'm surprised it took them this long just to do a very simple thing within their own, just their little network. Um, and I think it will help the the user base of Substack in order to just have a, a little bit better interface for um, the Substacks they follow. But then again, they are only limited to the one platform. Um, yeah. You know, you guys are a website that is not limited by platform. I mean, everyone has their own site. They can do what they want. They can publish how they like, you know, the, it looks a lot cooler. I was just at, is it, how do you pronounce it? Awry? Awry. Oh my God, it's so beautiful. Yeah. Like a, it's a it's a comics site and it's unbelievable. And I think, I'm pretty sure I just, I clicked on a different link than I did before and like the background of the website's different. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I just love how it um, came out. Yeah, That's the thing, you know, we had to stand gorgeous. up. Yeah, it's really beautiful. I love Tasteful Root too. It's like they're all really great looking. We had to stand up like, so, you know, all these new sites like really, really quickly. And everybody has a lot of ideas about, you know, sort of moving forward. Like, you know, it's just a question of getting the subscriber base, uh, you know, that's of a reasonable size that we can fund everybody's amazing ideas, you know. I mean, the big difference between what we're doing and sort of like the the substack model is that we are not trying to have control over these publishers. Like they, every publisher is free who is a Brickhouse member to pursue other sort of projects. You know, they may have uh, like, like Sludge has relationships with, um, uh, foundations, you know, they do different projects like where they do research and they provide other stuff and that takes place completely outside the brick house. It doesn't affect it, right? It's like a separate thing. Like in order to be in the brick house, you just have to say, okay, I'm going to publish, you know, two stories a week minimum. You know, most people are doing more, but like two stories a week minimum on, on the brick house site. Outside of that, you can do your whatever you want and connect it in however you want. But like, this is your sort of obligation. And, and so people can do experiments like sort of beyond what they're doing at our site, you know? So it's sort of like, um, we're not, we're not trying to own, you know what I mean? This is like the really important part of it to me. We're trying to enable. And so we have a really great place for you to come and read and these are unique things that you can only read. You know, once we put the paywall up at some point in the beginning of the year, you'll be able to get like three, four stories for free. And then after that, you have to pay. And, you know, you will not be able to see those stories unless you pay because they won't exist anywhere else. But so we're offering this really sort of unique resource and almost like for some people, it may be almost like a calling card for others. It may be there, like for Popula, Popula is not going to publish anywhere but the Brick House, you know, starting on December 8th when it opens. Like Popula is just sort of like a, um, exists only within the confines of the Brick House because I'm completely all in on this thing. <clears throat> but others may have other plans. They may want to integrate what we're doing into a, a larger scheme. I can imagine like much larger entities than ours, you know, maybe wanting to do experiments or projects on our site, like really trying to have the door wide open for as many interesting projects as we can bring into the world and make look beautiful and, you know, sort of gather a big audience for uh, outside commercial imperatives. Yeah, um, and so for the for the subscribers, let me see if I'm if I've got this right. It's seventy five dollars a year mm -hmm. for access to all the content mm -hmm. on Brickhouse website, which I guess in a few weeks will be mostly paywall. You said there'll be probably, you know, yeah. Oh, I think it's called a meter metered paywall where you get yes. maybe four or five articles free, and then it kicks in maybe for the month. You get the rest are. Yes. The rest are behind the paywall for a month or something like that. That's okay. exactly right. Cool. So that's pretty similar to, you know, the Atlantic and places like that that yeah. have, have that kind of metered paywall. Um, but, but, you know, <laughs> in this case, you're getting access to nine publications. They're all really different. 
um, there's at least one pot. There's one podcast, right? FAQ NYC. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the cartoon. There's Arai. I mean, what else? What else is part of the part of the mix here? Well, there are the four um, original civil projects that were already have like a big um, sort of archive. You know, because we've been publishing for a couple of years. Is Popula hmm, Weekly, which is Tom Skoka and Joe McLeod's site, um, Sludge. And uh, which is uncovering corruption in politics, a, a really wonderful investigative site. And FAQ NYC, which is a podcast about New York that's run by Harry Siegel, uh, Dr. Christine Greer, and Alex Brooklyn. And that is just like just this really hardcore, deep, deep regional um, podcast. And it's a great podcast. It's just yeah, so good. Yeah, my dream thing is like I want to syndicate the sort of FAQ NYC model to other cities if we can, Um, because their approach is so amazing. It's so like, it's, it's like culturally really um, literate, but it's also politically really literate. And it's just a very undeceived, just this really great thing. I just would love to see that grow um more and more you know so those are those four and then the new publications we have are awry as you say is like uh, jason adam katzenstein's comics blog he has um he had done drawings for uh popula he also has worked at the uh, current affairs quite a lot he did the live blogging live drawing for the debates that was really fun at current affairs i, I really love that and he works a lot at the new yorker and so I asked him, do you want to do your own thing? And he was like, yeah. And he, I mean, it was incredible what they came up with. I just love how that thing looks. And uh, so that was really exciting. And then Tasteful Root is Miriam Gorba, who does like sort of a criticism, like cultural criticism from a feminist perspective. Very extremely lively writer whom uh, I enjoy hugely. Um, we have No Man is an Island, which is... Uh, Brian Hugh, who also had written quite a bit at Popular. He runs a, a website in Taiwan called New Bloom. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's really, really cool. And he did a lot of that um, really incredible Hong Kong coverage that we had at Popular last year when they were, you know, during the demonstrations and all of this. And so when I asked him, he got some of his new Bloom colleagues together to do No Man is an Island. And it's um, sort of more of a cultural take on sort of East Asia and East Asian politics and activism than you ordinarily see in, especially in the States, you know, in mainstream media. And it was the same with um, Olongo Africa which is uh, this, um, it's really an interesting mix because, you know, there's politics, but basically these are academics in Lagos. Um, Kola Tubosun, who is a really, really brilliant linguist and uh, scholar. Um, and they're, they're sort of writing about a, a little bit about sort of Nigerian activism, a little bit about Nigerian literature, Pan-African, it's sort of a Pan-African Literary Digest with like, you know, some, a little bit of activist overtones to it. And that's great. Cause one of the things that, that I think independent media struggles with is that a lot of 
these smaller outlets sort of have to specialize. And so they mm-hmm. do like, they, they cover like one thing, like Sludge will cover money in politics, but doesn't have like a foreign correspondence bureau and doesn't have journalists in, in like Ost- Nigeria. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's great that you're able to, that, you, you know, sort of get o- by, by uh, bringing these, these outlets and journalists together, you're able to sort of overcome that problem. It's incredible. I, I have to mention the last one that I didn't mention, which is Preachy, which was um, it's Mike Kanan's and uh, Sunny Sohn's piece, uh, publication. It's about uh, religion and spirituality, but it's not. It's it's really super super critical. Like, um, what do we want to say? It's it's it's. Hmm. As it has outer space and introspection and, you know, sort of talks about rhetoric and talks about um, the the abstract and mystery. And I don't know, you have to read it. The first piece is so great. It was about like, you know, being like a messed up Muslim or something. This guy had written like, you know, about his troubled relationship with the religion that he was brought up into in Islam, you know, and it is mesmerizing. It's just so great about you know, the problems that people have dealing with uh, sort of religious traditions and things that they were kind of inculcated in them and like how they wound up dealing with them as adults. And I really love it. And so that's the nine. And then the the great thing that is already happening that I hoped would happen is it's created this sort of ferment where people are like, well, can you make me a drawing? Basically like, ask Jason, can you make me a drawing? You know, you know, can you like, tell me a writer who I can speak with, you know, in Egypt, can you like, you know, and everybody's kind of like trading notes and, and helping each other with WordPress and, and photographs. And, you know, um, Taisal Ruth is one, Jeff, the photographer at Taisal Ruth is like so incredible and everybody's like all swapping stuff. And it's, it's beautiful. It's like this really great thing because there's all this freedom where it's like, everybody isn't sort of bound to, a single sort of editorial ethos or partic- especially not a commercial ethos, you know, but we're all working on this project together in this like atmosphere of real freedom. And it, and it's, it makes the freedom actually creates an incredible collaborative ferment that I'm enjoying a lot. I, um, I, I might get in trouble for saying this, but it kind of sounds like what civil was supposed to be. <laughs> in a yeah. way. You've got the, the, the outlets are actually working together. There's no barrier to them working together and there, and the development is just kind of free to go. Right. Um, so, I mean, that's, it that's was what, what I, I had mean. hoped. Yeah. I mean, that was the thing. I always tell people I've been working on the same thing for three years. You know, it's like the thing that was attractive to me about civil was the chance to make it into something like this, you know, because that's been what's missing. It's kind of like the, um, the sort of the commercial imperatives of like what we're all forced to do to do our journalism are at odds with the idea of journalism as a public trust. And most people get into this business not to make money. They get into it because they believe in journalism as a public trust. And so you give them a chance to do that. It's incredibly stimulating. And I think we're going to create some really beautiful stuff. I mean, we already are and have but it's like you know it's been a week so in a week i think <laughs> it's it's been pretty pretty amazing <laughs> 
Yeah, well, but that's that's so exciting, and you know, serious congrats on it. Um, you know, I, I, I we had conversations a long time ago, yeah, about this kind of thing. So it's so it's so cool for me to see you you you've done it. And um, well, and we so have you. We're gonna like, quickly. and we're able to work together. I mean, this is the thing that's gonna be like, you know, let a thousand flowers bloom for sure. Like, because it's just, the thing is having the the sort of the ethical sort of mindset you know, like what can we do all of us to contribute to make things better in our industry? It's like, I think both of these approaches are really, really great. I think aggregation, you know, has a huge future for it in front of it. You know, if it's, if it's kind of practiced in a way that isn't meant to just extract money out of people, it's like, you can already see like how much fun, how much more fun the group of, journalists at opt out is you know like talking with each other and like you know sharing resources we we talked about this a little bit too when we had different meetings it's like there's a kind of a separate kind of plane on which you can sort of try out and experiment you know to to get really good results to definitely see us working with opt out to figure out all kinds of really cool new things Absolutely. Yeah. We definitely have to have conversations about how to do that. Uh, and I should say for our listeners that um, Popula and Sludge are both opt-out partners officially, and perhaps more will uh, will, will join. But um, we're certainly uh, obviously quite allied with Brickhouse and totally believe and endorse what you're doing. Because um, again, you know, it, it overlaps a lot with, with what we're doing. I think we have really the same goals here. Um, so yeah, and opt-out, I mean, we haven't really talk too much on our other podcast gilded age about opt-out specifically this one's going to obviously be more focused on on our opt-out partners but also what opt-out is and how we're going to roll it out and, and stuff we're we're not nearly as far along as as you are but we have a you know we're more focused on this app product um although we will have a web web version a web app and a website to correspond with it um but yeah we are we're aggregating um both you know well, articles podcasts and videos and now you know the the app is pretty far along in 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 development i mean it's it's not out yet we're we're hoping to launch it in march in beta form um but we are we already cool. have a pretty functioning app now that that we're working on it's really exciting to see every every time they update it right i, I download it and, and check it out and um you know, it like plays videos, it plays podcasts, it has has articles, that, um, and you know, it, it, we're we're independent journalists ourselves, so um, that's our focus is is just what you're talking about is is uh, helping out our our troubled industry, our, our dying industry, um, and so you know, we wrenching we link... it back from the hands of private equity. But that's exactly. the thing; yeah, it's yeah. not I mean, dying. That... It's like this is so ridiculous. It's like I got to take issue with that. It's like people need to know what's going on. Well, I, I actually said the word. I said the word. And I, I said I, I meant to say a different word. But, um, <laughs> no, maybe, but I mean, everybody. Attack. Yeah, everybody says this is like, you know, this thing is not going to. I mean, like, we're the ones who make this shit, man. It's like, you know, <laughs> private equity can try to, you know, own every single atom of what you do, you know, but the reality is we, we make it. And so and people need to know, need the things we make. They need to know what's going on. They need us to go down and to the place where the thing is happening and talk to all the participants and come back and write about it and tell them. 
it's like this is it's like this essential right. you know sort of like societal like bulwark against like total ignorance and 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 darkness right well we also have to make sure that people understand that what they're getting um the the outlets that are not threatened are not giving them everything they need to understand what is actually happening yeah and deliberate and i think deliberately so i mean i you know not to not to single out uh anyone in particular but msnbc and fox news are not designed to inform their audiences and give them a well-rounded view of the newsday they are partisan arms for uh, political parties i watch a lot of msnbc because i'm so sorry yeah because I am the, <laughs> I, I write about MSNBC for the Columbia Journalism Review from time to time. And so I watch quite a lot of it. And it's sort of like the idea of whether it's deliberate or not, like the, the constraints, you know, um, within which like a sort of cable news organization is forced to operate. I don't even know that it's deliberate so much as it's just a function of the, the, the machine that they're in, it's like, it's there, there just aren't any windows in that building. You know what I mean? I don't mean like literally, I, I mean like they can't see outside of their own machinery easily. And so the, it's almost like it happens by accident or, or as a matter of course, like once somebody walks into that world, it makes money. Well, I mean, I don't it's, think it's that, what may, it's where the money comes from. I don't like, I mean, not, not the party itself, but like people want their worldview reinforced. And that was something Fox discovered quite, um, that worked quite well, uh, you know, back in like the nineties, but especially the early aughts, um, the Fox news model really dominated the industry. And now I think it's become sort of a standard where even PBS even watching like PBS, they still have to compete with this sort of hyper-partisan, um, I guess, ratings game. And it's it's quite disappointing. You know, I I always wonder about that. The ratings thing. I, I had I talked to Phil Donahue once and it made such an impression on me. This is like a real genius, you know, of broadcast television and a really good man, I think. And and he said the same to me that I think about constantly. He said that the size of the audience is the coin of the realm, you know, meaning that like in all directions, right? Like if you can gather the huge audience, then that means you can call the shots more at your own show. You know, this is like why like a guy like Tucker Carlson, you know, who is now the most popular host, I guess, at Fox, like just, became more and more and more extreme because it gathered more and more and more audience, you know, according to their formula. And he was willing to like, you know, sort of give up making any sense at all and like becoming like a total xenophobe and jingoist and whatever in exchange for that kind of power. And so it's sort of deliberate and it's sort of about the ratings. There was that girl, Ariana Picari, who um, quit MSNBC because she just felt like mm-hmm. that it was too toxic, you know? And like, cause there's all these people that are in that machine who are really trying to do good work, 
but the machine itself constrains them. And so it's like, so it's just like at Fox, like there's a, a good number of honest journalists there who are really trying to do a good job. And I mean, I think it was very striking, you know, when they called um, Arizona for Biden and the first people to do it were at Fox. And, you know, they have this reputation <clears throat> of being like relatively, you know, trustworthy in the, their, their sort of polling section or whatever it's called department. And, you know, so it's kind of mixed up, right? There is, there's some honesty and some kind of uh, really like troubled and corrupt commercial disastrous mess that's going on kind of simultaneously. I kind of think it's important to to sort of tease out what the difference is and to try to apply pressure in the places where it could get better. Well, they reward the bad actors. I mean, that's the problem. Oh, hell yeah. Tucker is a bad actor. He gets, he gets rewarded. Joy Reid lied on air about being hacked. She did. Oh yeah. And uh, she gets rewarded with a primetime show. And, and uh, Brian Williams lied. He's still on the air. Like we have to take, you know, if you, if you, if you want a more honest broadcast net, like if you want more broad, honest broadcast journalism, you have to fire the people who, who lie. And I think, I think part of the reason that Reed it was rewarded is because she is a partisan operative. The same thing with, with Carlson. He is effectively a partisan operative. Um, I think that could be part of it, but it's also that like, you know, they both are really, really skilled at their thing. Yeah, I don't like their thing. In either case, actually, you know, and I thought the hacking thing was really like a, I mean, it was really, it wasn't even, it was lying about it, you know, that was just so unbelievable. And, and it was exposed and they just decided that it was in their interest at that network to, uh, to go ahead and keep this person. And so it, it was very disappointing, you know, to me as a, as a viewer, I agree with you. I think that when somebody whose sort of job it is to inform the public, you know, and be a trustworthy source of information, um, it, you know, is exposed as, as, as a deceitful person, it, it's like they've kind of indicated that they're not going to be great at, at their job. Right. So it's pretty obvious right. that person shouldn't be in that job. So, okay, so you look at it from the other side. Here is a person who is actually a, a very, like, uh, a person who's connected in, in the case of Joy Reid, she's, like, really, like, um, connected in, in that whole sort of DNC world, like, very deeply. You know, she's, like, right. a, a, but she's also, like, a good, I would say, um, she can decoct really quickly a, a political situation for that audience in an, in an entertaining and articulate, fast, clear, funny way. She's really good at it at the same time. For the already converted. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. She's so really, the, really good that's at it the, though. the model. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, mean I think course. it's, it, 
I think there's just a couple layers to, to a, a network like that. You know, like, as you say, it isn't it kind of like, like you have, you know, uh, major papers have opinion section versus their kind of hard news sections, which are mm -hmm. often very different. So, but mm -hmm. I think, I think you still have, whether it's New York times or, or MSNBC, you still have an overall kind of, um, corporate media narrative that's that's kind of throughout those networks and then you have but but you have some pretty good you know journalism yeah. mixed in with that yeah you know, with the caveat that you're going to have like crappy headlines written by editors and you're going to have some, some things are off limits and you, you have this this kind of you know corporate bias but then you have the opinion section which in terms of the the networks is prime time is what most people understand to be the networks mm -hmm. maybe unfairly mm -hmm. but that's what they choose that's what they choose to put at six seven eight nine p.m so those are the two levels you know and i think one is worse than the other but they're both kind of it's part of this corporate media thing that 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 not, you know yeah but that's true too but mm -hmm. that you know no opt-out um, uh, no opt-out um, partners are are part of the corporate media, and, and certainly no one at Brickhouse is. So, mm -hmm. you know, we're 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 choosing to just completely sidestep all of that. Yeah, um, you know, because I, I mean, think it, I, I think it does. I think people are more honest when they when they don't when they're not part of a, a major corporate network or publication. You know, it can be. I, I like. I, I really I care about this a lot, and I think that there is a future where there doesn't have to be that kind of a divide. Honestly, like I did, I never, you know, until I got this gig, I never really watched as much cable news as I do now. I watched quite a bit of cable news. Like last week, I wrote a thing about, like, you know, sort of. I'd be interested in what you guys think about this too. The question was, you know, Fox News versus MSNBC is sort of like, you know, the sort of uh, Godzilla versus Mothra, right? Like now what? Like without Trump, how does that sort of detente, um, what does it morph into, you know, in January? What are they going to do? I asked a bunch of people about this, like, and I asked like Ben Smith and he said, well, they need the drama. So they will elevate, he, he suggested they might elevate sort of uh, the Democratic left to create a drama so that it would have it be AOC versus Biden or something like that. And I thought, well, it, I mean, there's science of it already, right? It's, it's kind of interesting. Like they'll make a drama, which is, I mean, it's, it's frightening because everybody has to live with the consequences of what these people decide. And that's actually sort of terrifying on one level, but on the other, it's kind of like, okay, but what can, what can people like us do with that? I mean, there's actually no better exponent out there. I mean, I to me, Chris Hayes is the equal of like Ed Young at the Atlantic. His COVID coverage, you know, since February has been freaking stellar, you know? And so it's kind of like, I want to throw the baby out with the bathwater there. There's been some really, right. really responsible stuff. Yeah, I think he's he's by far the best host in MSNBC. I don't watch it a lot in general, but I do, I do appreciate his work for the most part. Well, he um, frustrates me because he's always he's like, how do these bad actors keep getting legitimized? And then Owen Higgins, who I absolutely love, will post in his thread like an image of his show with Hayes next to the bad actors in question. Like, gosh, I I I wonder. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, if he look, I mean, Chris more than anyone certainly has. He has a lot of progressives and leftists on his show. Oh my god! Um, actually, in CNN, you know, CNN started bringing in, um, bringing in some some leftists, some Democratic socialists because they during the primary because it was a fairly 
important constituency given that Bernie was winning until like the fifth state or the fourth state. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question about MSNBC creating the drama. I mean, the thing is it's already kind of there and especially in the print media, like Politico, those, those sort of mm -hmm. access journalism type DC shops are, are, they've been doing this for a long time. Mm -hmm. Maybe MSNBC will, will, will kind of crank that up a notch. I don't know if it's going to be a good or bad thing for the left. I mean, get it, you know, AOC has no shortage of interview opportunities. Like, I don't think that's going to change either way, but it is good for, for, for leftists to get on camera. The problem is if it's framed the way that, um, Joy and Reed frames it, then it's going to make the Rule. look bad. Do you, do you yeah. see that interview with Bernie Sanders? Bernie, you're a completely ineffectual legislator. Discuss. <laughs> <laughs> Like, Bernie, you really kind of suck at your job. Do you think you're the guy who can deliver this necessary life-saving thing that you're fighting for and no one I mean, else it's, is? It's actually amazing, though. Like, he just has so much patience. He just <laughs> he, he just will answer the question, like, well, actually, I'm, I'm an effective legislator, and here's how. It's just like... Like what would drive anybody else completely insane? He just like quietly gets on with it, and I, I admire that a lot. I don't know. I, I see, I, I see opportunities. I do. I see opportunities for opt out. I see opportunities for Brickhouse. I see, like you know, um, the the sort of conventional view on the left of mainstream media is that it's toxic and you can't get anywhere near it. You shouldn't even know about it or whatever. I think that it's a good thing on the whole there there are there's room for people who don't want anything to do with it and that's fine and i also think that there's room for kind of like what aoc has been able to do you know like the, these that these now this people who even are those people they get these clips from c-span <laughs> they create these things that get millions of views you know like who would have thought this was possible it's like i just really want to have a very open mind about where we can go that's all. Sure. And I, and I think like uh, for, for our listeners, like our, our backdrop to creating opt out, you know, this independent media aggregator is that it's impossible to avoid the mainstream media. You know, the corporate mm -hmm. media is always there. It's really hard to avoid. So we're, we're creating a place where you can go like the brick house. You go somewhere and you, you know, it, whether it's five minutes a day or it's your entire news experience, um, it's, you know, you're not going to get the corporate media narratives in there. You're mm -hmm. not going to have political uh, operatives for the establishment wings of the two major parties going in there telling you what's news uh, or pretending to be news. Um, so, you know, that, 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 that's kind of our backdrop is like, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I love that. I'm, I'll be the first to admit. Like there are, there's a lot of reporting. And as Walker was saying, like smaller independent outlets don't have the money to do report on every topic. Um, there's going to be expensive stuff that most independent media can't do. Not all, but most. So, you know, there is going to be, there are areas where it's important to have kind of well-funded media, often meaning media that's owned by giant multinationals, perhaps, um, it, to fill those gaps. Um, but we, we generally just think that, you know, because there's so much saturation, it's a lot more valuable in general for people to go to independent sources um, for their media. So, so what we want to do is promote outlets like Popular Sludge, uh, hopefully some other outlets that are on, on your roster there at Brickhouse, but, um, and just to get more eyeballs, more ears, um, you know, on, on this content. And, and so we're going to push people to those sites um, and we're going to encourage people to, to download and, or sorry, to um, donate and subscribe to those outlets. Um, you know, that, it's, that is it's like, absolutely. Like what you said is so great though. It's like, this is always going to be there. And like, we exist in this huge ecosystem with these behemoths, right? 
that like the idea that you could just pretend that they don't exist and we can be in some precious little, I mean, we've seen this, right? Like I grew up, you know, with this idea that um, the sort of activist left was like separate from the rest of the world, really, you know, like operating in this, in this bubble, like by themselves, you know, and not like out there and engaged on it on their feet, like in the world, you know, it was like this very sort of isolated university bound, um, feeling, you know, that this isn't something that you're going to carry into your life. This is something that you're going to do at school and you get people to sign petitions, you know, and then it's over. And I just, I think the, the moment in history that we're heading into with the global dangers and the, the sort of, uh, the, the sort of destabilization that has come in the wake of the Trump administration, we can't afford that kind of precious feeling anymore like everybody like we have to have new alliances and we have to have a new understanding and we have to i mean i think we had a certain idea of what the media ecosystem was and that you could be in a, a separate sort of walled garden of your own you know and and sort of talk about things that was you think are important alone with the people who already agree with you there are ways past that now because we're facing all of this this global emergencies of all kinds. And, you know, I think it's possible to envision a world where entities large and small, people with different kinds of agendas, commercial and otherwise, can uh, coexist, you know, in a, in a way that is, is not, that is productive. You know, when we um, sort of define ourselves at Brickhouse or at Opt Out as being um, independent media organizations that put independence first, that don't have like commercial uh, sort of imperatives first, you know, that readers and viewers can come and look at what we're doing and, and have a, a very clear sense of like where that's coming from. And they go watch TV and see the very slick, beautiful, you know, it costs a trillion dollars to produce each segment. There's all kinds of people working on it. The research is all perfect, you know, like, and that's a whole different thing. And they can watch C-SPAN and every intelligent person should be looking at all of these things in order to understand through a range of voices and perspectives, their own world. And this is what we want to encourage. I, yeah. I think we can do that. Well, right on. We're right there with you. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Alex, I think we should wrap it and, I think it's a good time. It's a good um, time. A yeah. Good, good Super discussion fun. as usual with, with Maria. Everyone, um, thank you, know, you for watching. Thanks for watching Opt Out Cast. And, and, and I can't emphasize enough how great Brickhouse is. You can subscribe, check it out, and subscribe uh, for a modest uh, yearly amount. It's the brick, the brick dot house. The brick dot the brick house. house. <laughs> and you're on Twitter at twitter.com slash brick brickhouse co-op. Mm -hmm. And also Maria is on Twitter at Maria Bustios, um, B-U-S-T-I-L-L-O-S. And um, Alex so everyone, could use some love too. He, he, he's lagging in followers and it's yeah. Well, okay. So now I guess we've reached a stage where Walker, Walker lawyers is <laughs> many more uh, followers <laughs> than me. Um, but I do encourage everyone to, you know, follow us. That's cool. But also, 
um, follow OptOut's Twitter. It's just at OptOutApp. And also, I, I hate to admit this to you, Maria, but we are on Instagram. Uh, we will never use Facebook, but we well, are trying out Instagram. Okay, um, but they're gonna, it's, it's going to it's gonna break up pretty soon. No, pause. Yeah, and that, that would... The Brick House yeah. is on Instagram, too, because we have all these comics guys. No, you're, really? Oh, yeah. They, oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, no, okay. they, they persuaded me that they needed to be on there because the comics. And um, yeah, and so, I was yeah. like, okay, well, I, since there's going to be an antitrust lawsuit. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's cross our fingers <laughs> hope it works. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, I did see that. I was I, I just read Zephyr Teachout's book called Break Em Up. So, it co- I mean... You know, mm-hmm. covers Facebook a lot and how that needs to be broken up. So um, it was cool to see the lawsuit, like, yeah, just like weeks after I read the book. Yeah. Uh, not long after it came out. It came out this year. Uh, great book. Um, but, yeah, so we are on Instagram, opt-out app. I, are you also Brickhouse Co-op at Instagram? Um, you know, I, like I haven't even looked at it, and I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, we'll check it out. Yeah, um, we've only been we'll, doing this for a week, so... Yeah, totally. Everything's safe. well. Congratulations again on on really awesome um, venture already. Thank you. And so enjoy much. Scotland with on. the great healthcare. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> Thank yeah. you both. Come so back much. and see us sometime. Yeah. No, I'll be I'll be back ASAP in Oakland, where uh, where I usually live. But anyways, thank you both so much. It was super duper fun. Okay. Good night. Thank you, and stay safe. Okay, and yeah, we'll see you next time. Yeah. Take care, everyone. OptOutCast is produced by Alex Koch. Original theme music by Direwolf. Published by OptOut, the nonprofit news app for 100% independent media.